It's that time of the week again. It's flat out RC podcast time. My name is Andrew Sill, the host of this program, coming to you from the land down under Melbourne, Australia. And of course, this is the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. I'm talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. I tell you what, I went flying today. You know what that means? I'm in a good mood. So anyway, we'll talk a bit about that later. Uh, special guest this week is a guy that is known in the in the Victorian sort of uh, flying scene. His name is Mark Sills. Not Mark Sill. He's no relation to me, but I do refer to him as Uncle Mark Sills with an S at the end. Uh, he's been on the hobby scene for a long time um, and uh, been very involved in the administration of uh, of the Northern Flying Group Club. So we're going to have him on to, to have a chat and hear about his hobby story and uh, the stuff that he's been uh, been involved in over the years. So stay tuned for Mark Sills, our special guest. Now, before we get to Mark, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. As I mentioned earlier, I went flying today. And what I want to talk about today, what's on my mind, is really how good is it to be able to go flying? And to be honest, I didn't do a lot of flights. I flew a foamy for a bit, and then I pulled out my 30cc gasser aerobatic plane, did a flight on that, ripped the wheel pants off, and then sort of lost the motivation, but it was enjoying the uh, the company of uh, the other people at the field. And uh, to me, I've always said this for many, many years, aeromodeling is just not about the act of flying a model plane. It's everything else that's to do with 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 it. So everything from thinking about model aeroplanes, talking to your mates about model aeroplanes, hanging around the flying club and having a chat, you know, uh, you know, of course, building model aeroplanes. Um, and I always find that every time I get out to the field, it sort of is a great stress reliever, uh, and just, you know, that circuit breaker in the week. Um, I really envy the guys and girls that are retired and that can have that freedom to be able to go flying whenever they want and, Go to the flying club, and uh, I I'm not there yet. I've still got a few more few more years to go, really, with work and and those kind of commitments. But I'll get there. Uh, touch wood. Hopefully, nothing happens to me in the meantime. But uh, it really is such a good outlet for uh, for me, and I know a lot of other people as well. Is just to get to that flying field, and it's almost like I'm on a high after I've I've gone to the field. You know, today was a good day at the field. Uh, I remember I, I record these intros and outros on a Sunday, then I'll edit everything up and release them on Wednesday. So I'm, I'm, it's currently Sunday evening and uh, had a good day at the field. We were here in Victoria. We've sort of just come out of a bit of a, a COVID lockdown. And so getting getting back to the field with good numbers um, was a bit of a novelty and seeing, seeing some familiar faces again was, was good. My aim was to really just blow some of the cobwebs off and uh, let's just say there's still some more cobwebs that need to be blown off. Um, it was interesting, we were talking about, uh, a few of us were talking about simulator and how we've been on the simulator practicing and, and one guy said that the simulator gave him a false sense of, of confidence so he actually bingled the plane as a result and uh, and I feel as if the simulator, really, I love the simulator and it does help me. Um, but I think... Uh, I need to have a bit more structure when I go to the flying field because I'm always trying to work on some skills and uh, I was hoping to do that today, but I got a bit distracted. Uh, and the wind got up for a short period of time. Uh, the other thing I noticed today at the field is the prevalence of turbine jets. 
I think they're breeding down here. I'm not sure whether it's the same in other parts of the world, but there's definitely uh, you're seeing a lot more jets at the field than I ever have. Uh, and we had all sorts of uh, different jets flying, um, but it seems like any avid aero modeler has at least one jet in their arsenal, uh, and they bring them out to fly. You know, I, you know, you all know that I've got a jet, but uh, my jet, I say, is I'm reserving it for jet events when I get to the full size airports and fly. Uh, otherwise, I'll just fly my prop planes and things like that. But I did notice this: some jets get off the ground better than others when flying off grass. I think that's a big thing to to contemplate when you're choosing a jet: is where you're actually going to fly it and how suitable it is to get off the ground. Uh, and uh, let's just say some of the jets needed a pretty damn long runway to get off the ground. And even you know, as, as long as some of these jets down can be can be difficult. Uh, you know, and you know they've got a lot of momentum behind them. A lot of these jets, and they cut through the air pretty well. So, um, anybody that's landing a bit long, um, gee, the end of the runway catches up pretty quickly. Fortunately, no nobody had any mishaps today at the field. But uh, I can tell you what, uh, many a brake was slammed on once it came down. So you really got to try to get that plane down at the end of the runway rather than halfway down the runway. Otherwise, you risk the risk damage to your plane. So yeah, really enjoyed my day out at the field. Um, fortunate to be a member of a pretty big club, so a lot of diversity as far as aircraft, and, and generally some pretty nice planes were flying today, which was good to see, and, and everyone was really keen to get up and, and have a fly as well, which was also good to see. Uh, but uh, pulled out the foamy, had a bit of a fly with the foamy around as well, um, blow out the cobwebs. So, uh, there's a thing with some of these profile foamies that I, that I fly, is I think they're really good when they're brand new, but after a few bingles they just don't fly that fly straight and, and i'm finding that you've got to get your cg right my cg is not 100 percent right and i've got to do something about it but my cg is not 100 percent right and i need to get uh get it a bit further back and um and uh that might help the situation because it's pulling to the canopy and knife edge i need to go back and listen to the peter goldsmith trimming chart and see if i can trim out my foamy actually if you haven't listened to last week's episode You've got to get online and have a listen to um, Peter Goldsmith's trimming chart. I've had, I've had a number of people say to me it's one of the best episodes ever where Peter Goldsmith talks through his renowned trimming process. So you can always subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast so you don't miss out on such thing. Uh, also this week I released a video, uh, another video on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, which was about um, – I was going through some old footage to see if I can put together a bit of an edit, and I found some from a the China Top Show in 2019. At the end of the event, they ran a uh, it's a freestyle aerobatics competition, but uh, at the end of the event, they had a bit of bit of fun. And one of the competitions they ran was a a dead stick spot landing competition. So they put a water bottle on the runway, and the pilots had to fly up, cut their engines, and then glide down. and And there were gases and electric planes as well. With the electric, they had to put a throttle cut on. And uh, we'll watch to make sure they didn't go and put the uh, the motor back on. But uh, it was so much fun. And I, and I managed to, I filmed a lot of it. Uh, let's just say that the, the commentary is mainly oohs and ahs, which I, I say is the universal language, no matter where you are, whether you're in China or in Australia. It says a lot of ooing and ahhing. But uh, go and have a look on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. Just search for Flat Out RC and you'll find it. And you'll see uh, the latest video. I can't remember what I call it. Some clickbaity title. Try to get some people to find it. But uh uh, something about RC planes and crashing competition. But, uh, yeah, so get on over there. That might keep you occupied for at least three and a half minutes. Anyway, really had a good day. Thanks to all the club members. You know who you are. Really enjoyed your company. Can't wait to get back again. Mm-hmm.
Guest time, which is always, I say, is my favourite part of the Flat Out RC podcast and the reason why you all come rather than to listen to me talk to myself. Uh, this week is uh, uh, my special guest is a guy by the name of Mark Sills, S-I-L-L-S. Not Mark Sill, S-I-L-L, like my surname. Mark Sills, I met him many years ago. He's got a son, Riley, who we'll get Riley on the podcast at some point in time as well. Riley's a great aerobatic pilot, young guy, Mark's his dad. I call them uncle and cousin as a joke. Uh, but you may have seen Mark in some of my videos, actually, uh, at the Shepherd and Mammoth event. I recall him maybe a couple of times. I've had him on the uh, on the on one of the Flat Out RC YouTube videos because uh, he's always good to have a chat with. Really outgoing. He talks really, really fast, which you'll notice. But he's a great guy, and he the thing I love about Mark is that um, he's really passionate. Um, you always have a good time when he's around. Uh, loves the hobby. Loves helping out. He's been very, very instrumental in, in guiding. The Northern Flying Group um, and their activities for many, many years. So, uh, in an administration function, so we have a bit of a ch- chat about that. But uh, I know that you'll enjoy my chat with the one and only Mark Sills. Too. So, over to our little little soiree, we'll call it, that Mark and I had a number of weeks back. Now, the gentleman joining me is someone that I like to refer to as Uncle. That's only because his surname is very close to mine. Mark Sills, thank you for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Absolute pleasure, Uncle. No, I'm your uncle. You can't call me uncle if you're my uncle. We can't be. We're the mother from the other brother, aren't we? Well, look, we just want to clarify something for everybody out there. Mark's surname is S I L S. Mine is S I L. He has an English heritage, and I have more European Italian heritage. That's where my name comes from. So. We aren't related, but we do like to joke that you're my uncle. And, of course, when we see your son, Riley, he's cousin. Cousin. I've heard him as cousin. Now, Mark, I've known you for a number of years now. I see you at events and things like that. Um, But let's just get into the Mark Sills story. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Oh, God. Uh, Probably about 1988, I met my now wife, Melissa, who was a nurse. She was a shift worker, so she was doing night shifts. So a friend and I decided to go into the city one day, ended up in Hearn's Hobbies. Uh, they had a bit of a, a flood sale from memory and we ended up picking up a couple of gentle ladies each. So we spent a couple wait of months. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Do you want to rephrase that? We picked up a couple of gentle ladies. Okay, gentle lady gliders. <laughs> well done. Meter wingspan. I see Thank how you, you went there. Well no, done. Stop I me. don't even know what that meant then. No, I know what a gentle lady is. I know it's a glider, but I was just, you know, the whole context was your wife was yep. working night shift and you went with a yeah, friend into yeah, the city to yeah, pick up some yeah. gentle ladies. It I see the well. Italian coming out of yeah, you again. Well yeah, done. Yeah. Sorry for um, interrupting. No, that's all right. We built that. Uh, we live in northern suburbs, so there's a, a hill near what used to be called Kodak at the time. So after a couple of months of building these things, we'd uh, climb to the top of the hill, throw them off the hill and walk down, pick them up and, you know, repeat. And after a couple of hours of doing that, I realised it was boring. Uh, I had an old Cox motor, put that on the front of it um, and then sort of ended up heading into modelling that way. Okay, wait a second, wait a second. Gentle Lady was a two-channel glider, wasn't it? Yeah. You put a cox at With the front it. of it. Was that Why just, not? Okay, but that means no throttle, just spin it just up. Just straight out run. Yep, anything to keep it up longer. 
How did you get the? When did you get the Cox motor? Like, how did that come into? Oh, uh, years ago, I uh, bought one of the control line kits, the plastic kits. Oh, I, I can't remember say. them at the time. PT nineteen. Uh, that's about the sum of it. Um, my father, uh, we were at a trash and treasure. Picked one up cheap, uh, flying it in the front yard. Of course, you know, forty foot lines in a four foot front yard and smashed it the only thing that survived was the motor so it just seemed like the perfect marriage put the cox motor on the front of the glider and hopefully go from there uh from there i started talking to a guy at work a guy at work uh introduced me to uh daryl gunst who's obviously synonymous with aero modeling for many many years he was bmwa he was in the northern flying group and we just sort of the relationship with modeling sort of blossomed from there well, 1988, I was still at school, and uh, yeah. but I don't think you're that much older than me, really. But um, mm. you fast forwarded a lot to 2021. I, I want a bit more mm. about that, that. You know, I'm interested to know because as I said, again, I don't know your story. So you were you were flying the, this glider, the gentle lady with the cocks yep. out the front, and then did you join a club? Rode off the glider. Obviously, we worked out that power to weight issues were, were a problem there. So I joined a club, uh, bought a guy out of the trading post, which was the old uh, mega, uh, the paper that used to come out every Thursdays with all the, the four sales in it. Um, ended up at Northern Flying Group with a, you know, a Bluebird and a Low Wing Trainer and a Fataba Gold, I think it was radio at the time. Oh, yeah. um, went through the the motions of being learned how to fly and got hooked ever since. Well, it's, it's a surprising. Well, I remember that era quite distinctly. Like when you say the trading post, it brings back all these mem- memories of grabbing that trading post and flicking to the radio control section to see what was there. I actually, my brother bought a radio control plane out of the trading post. Oh wow! Um, m- many many years ago, actually. Well, I don't even know if the trading post still exists. Maybe online. No. Yeah. I think it's called RC Trader or Facebook Marketplace yeah. or whatever those. Yeah, I know, you know. we've got, we got a lot of lot of avenues now to buy our secondhand model airplanes. Yeah. But the um, so you go to the club, you have this plane, and you know, obviously you got a few things. So it sounds like you're pretty hooked from the start, weren't you? Yep. So Northern Flying Group is obviously the club that was in Epping, and I was in Greensboro Reservoir at the time. Uh, hooked up with a gentleman by the name of Bill, who was my trainer. Uh, we went up every Saturday, every Sunday, worked out that I was solo after about oh, six to eight weeks, I suppose, because of the consistency of how often we were flying. Uh, the irony was is that my trainer was deaf. He actually couldn't hear the motor. So it was actually quite funny. He'd be screaming at me, is the motor still running? Um, which, you know, I just give him the thumbs up and away we go. But it, it just worked. He was the most patient gentleman I've you know, ever had as far as an instructor is concerned. Uh, and he did really well. He brought a lot of people through the club. Uh, from there, ended up in the social circles of the committee uh, as a basic member, uh, seeing what the club can do, and kind of got hooked on that admin side of, of the club as well. So it was a twofold, the, the aero modelling, the, the methanol, the, you know, the 40, 60 size models, which were standard at the time, plus the ability to, you know, shape a club for a certain degree. Now, the Northern Flying Group, for, for anyone that doesn't know, is a club down here in Victoria, and it's the field is a state field, but was at that point in time in that late 80s or early 90s, was it a state field or was the, the field no. actually somewhere else? No. So we were on uh, uh, down Harvest Home Lane, which is now uh, commercial, uh, sorry, um, residential area. 
the state field ended up coming in at about maybe 2099. The MAAA realized at some point in time there was a lot more money in the bank. Uh, to benefit modelers, we could you know, go out to clubs to find a block of land, to investigate the potential of owning that block of land and developing that block of land into a state field. So Northern was probably one of the first state fields, uh, and that was greatly due to the impact that Daryl Gunst had and the relationship with the BMAA. Uh, we searched high and low for a block of land that met the criteria, flat, 100 acres, middle of nowhere, uh, you know, ticked all those boxes, and uh, put together a proposal to be custodians of the, the VMAA state field, or the MAAA state field, as it was known back then. Yes, and, and, and was it when I first started in the hobby, uh, or back after a big hiatus, uh, the Northern Flying Group was sort of the only state field. But since yep. then, we're talking like 2011 kind of time frame. We've seen Pachuca, Bensdale, and now Derek, uh, not Derek Wynn, that's where you are, um, the Mount, uh, Wallace. Mount Wallace field come yep. about. And I think yep. that strategy of securing land is excellent. Like there is no other state that can rival what we've got in Victoria. Okay. Fantastic. A lot of us have to travel, you know, for me to get to, to your club, the Northern, Northern Flying Group, probably at least an hour and a quarter to an hour 20 yep. kind of thing. Yep. But um, you know, that the fact that if we lose a lot of the suburban clubs or the in, more inner city clubs, I've always got somewhere to go. Yes, I'm going to have to drive a bit further, but, yeah. and I can go, you know, two and a half hours to Bensdale, two and a half hours to Echuca. Uh Mount Wallace is probably an hour, a bit under an hour and a half, really. Um, so it's not, it's actually not that, that bad. I think they've done Well, I think the plan is to have them dotted around the four corners of Victoria, which the, you know, the BMW M2 play have done well. Um, and full credit to any of the clubs that take on that responsibility as well. It's a, it's a great opportunity to, like in our case, we took a block of land and over years, developed the runway, developed the clubhouse, uh, did all that sort of stuff. The members pitched in hours and hours and hours of labour to develop it um, to the result of what we've got now, which is an established field, fantastic facilities, and it's, it's a place to go away for a day rather than just a couple of hours. You know, you've got your toilets, your lunchroom, your kitchen facilities. It's just makes the day more enjoyable when you can get out of the wind if it's bad or the rain or whatever's there. That's true. Now, we're going to get more into that because I do want to because you've been involved in the administration side, I think you've got a lot of value to add in this podcast and sharing some of your experiences. But before we get to that, mm-hmm. I want to get back to the aeroplane stuff. So tell me about, so let's let's fast forward to sort of the mid-90s. After you sort of got a gist of flying a plane and you got your bronze wings or whatever certification you got, yep. what direction did you head down as far as models? Because often, you know, after that, getting that bronze wings, you know, we either – go off towards aerobatics or something like that? What, what, what did you yeah. look for? Predominantly sport. Uh, I just love getting out there, filling up with the glow, and away we go. So 60 size Sportster was probably one of the ones I bought. Uh, started building uh, a scale uh, SE5. Uh, so that's got a little, um, I think it's about a 64-inch wingspan, the flare kit. Uh, I ended up getting hooked up with uh, another magazine that I ended up doing reviews for. So I ended up with a bi-monthly supply of just random stuff that came through. Was that Airborne uh, or what magazine? Uh, yeah, Airborne, Airborne. You allowed um, to mention so John, Airborne? Well, I wasn't sure. So well, you tried to sell I, it to me. <laughs> you lo- you I used to write for it as well. Yeah, no, true. Well, so John Rogers was in Tallamarine. I work at Melbourne Airport, which obviously we were around the corner. 
one thing led to another and we just ended up sort of becoming friends from that aspect. So he'd give me a call to tell me that, you know, so-and-so model was in and that might have been a, a, a Vima Seagull or, a, you know, model engines or a model flight or whatever it was. And I just enjoyed putting that together. So my aero modeling direction as such was sport whatever came to me out of the box so i didn't have a you know a pattern or a scale or a, or a racing fraternity as far as that was concerned to to belong to yeah okay and did you have you enjoyed building or are you more into the flying side of things um i i'm glad i've done it i've done probably about four or five scratches about four or five kits uh i i I'm convinced I'm an ARFer. You know, open the lid, throw a box of glue in, shake it all about, mm. now comes a plane. Um, I enjoy the flying aspect more than I do the building aspect. Um, I feel like I've ripped my son off because of that, because we've never sat in the garage and built a plane together. But by the same token, to have a plane on the bench for three months, six months, full full credit to the scale people that do do it. That's not me. I would have that much shit on my garage three weeks after I started building something. I'd never find the plane again. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's almost like a – it's like a dirty word to say, oh, I'm not into building. But, like, yep. I, I – building – people, you know, a lot of the avid builders say, you just got to find the time. Okay, yep. well, if you live a lifestyle like I do where I've got multiple different hobbies, I run a business, I've got young kids, um, you know, like just before I got in here, I was playing table tennis with my son. So Excellent. for me to go, he's he's got man into table tennis, which I love because I like playing table <laughs> tennis. So, you know, and we can't, well, as I record this, we're still in lockdown here in Victoria. So that's my exercise for the day is going playing table tennis on the dining room table. But, well um, but when you're... When you you know when you like me and you got a lot of interests and a lot of different things and a lot of time constraints, yes, to be able to build that scratch build or that kit build involves uh, a sacrifice in other things to have the time. And I don't want to sacrifice my time to sit in the shared building at this stage of my life. I've tried um, in the past before I got busier in life, but um, when I'm not as busy with life and and. You know, the history of a lot of people in aero modeling and a lot of different different hobbies is that a lot of people give up during their 40s and early 50s because they're too busy with family and work yep. and putting the kids through school and so and I can totally understand and relate to that because that's the situation I'm in that the last thing I really want to do at this present point in time is give up skiing, table tennis, bike riding, my electric scooter that I just got which I really enjoy <laughs> so that I can go and sit in a shed and build yep. the Piper Cub. Well, and see, I'm in a very unique situation where Riley actually drags me through that, you know, I'm 40, 50, I could give up. And he's the, no, 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 let's go to the garage, let's fix this, let's organise this, we're going here this weekend, we're doing that next weekend. So Riley coming in through modelling, uh, you know, from a young age, is that guy that we just go away on the weekends and have a ball. It's just brilliant. Well, yeah, your son Riley, who, you know, when I think about it, about it when I think I first met you, and Riley, Riley was a lot younger, and now he's like a man. Like he's a grown. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's it, it's we 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 love seeing that father son kind of thing, and you don't see it as much as we really would like to. Really, at a flying club, like we do, um, we do see, um, you know, some some you know father and sons, or you know, yeah. father and daughters, even more rare. But to see that father and son thing, I think is amazing. You know. And any dad that's really an Abadero modeler would love to have their son come down. The oh, it's brilliant. 
And best sensation ever was meeting him on a flight line, him solo, me solo. You just look at each oh, other and go, this is how cool. cool is this? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I was going to ask you, how did you do that? Well, you know, like I'm going to have Riley on the podcast because he's a great guy and he's, he's really <laughs> yep. doing some good things with aerobatics and whatever. But how did Riley sort of get into? I couldn't keep him away. Every time he knew I was coming to the field, and he he was there from the beginning of the state field. So Riley was uh, probably about two years of age when the slabs started getting poured and all that. I've got photos of him as the ball pumps getting done and the frameworks getting done, and like he just loves it. He loves being involved in aero modelling. Um, he is a trained commercial pilot. He loves all aspects of, of aero modelling, aviation, and just adores it. Yeah, um, he's been enough. He's really been. Into he followed in my footsteps so whatever was there we bought a trainer uh we did one of the uh, the pts trainers that come through which had the evolution motor in it you could use it as the trainer take the the wings apart then create as a scale model and he flew the pants off of that and he literally flew the covering off something from i don't know probably eight years of age uh, and just excelled from there. You know, there's a point where you just think to yourself, oh, my God, where did this kid come from and how is he such a natural at it? Yeah. Financially, Dad bought, Dad did, Dad built another one, and away we go from that. Uh, it got to about 18 when he started building his job, and he started building and flying his own planes and buying his own bits and pieces and uh, is now, you know, fully, fully self-funded and everything he does. So, you know, he's just addicted to it. And the girlfriend knows that modeling's first, the, 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 the <laughs> relationship second. He's, he's, he's done great. it all very well. He's done it all very well. Well, see, you, you've done well with Riley. He's a good boy. And yeah. I was on the sim the other day. I began on the sim a little bit with um, a few sim buddies, and my son likes the sim. And, and he's got this new gaming PC, and I said to him, hey, Charlie, can I put my, my sim on your computer because my old computer's a bit slow? And he said, yeah. And so every time I say, oh, I'm going to go on, on the sim, he rushes upstairs and he's there and he grabs the transmitter. And, of course, I've mentioned this before this podcast, he's not worried about takeoffs or landing. Well, he can take off, yeah. but he's not worried about landings yeah. because it's all about can I fly 3D? I'm, I'm going to hover the plane. I'm going to do knife-edge passes. The Without me showing him a thing, I was watching the other day going, "He's a, it's messy, but he's yep. actually he's like, got, got the basics. Yeah. All by naturally, hands on the sticks, just knows if I push the stick this way, the plane's going to do this. Right? And yeah. that I thought, I said to him, I always said to him, come on, Charlie, be my friend. Why don't you come to the flying club with me? Be my friend. I said, could you imagine doing this? You and me down at the flying club and you flying, doing it in real life. He goes, nah, it's boring. I'm like, oh, no. Charlie. I said, I said, yeah. And I keep on saying to him, you don't know unless you come and have a go. I said, I've got, uh, over the years, I had this Hangar 9 um, Ultra Stick 30cc. And I'd finished yeah. building it and I was, I was doing a review on it for the magazine and I I had it sitting there and I said um, to Charlie, see that aeroplane? I said, that's yours if you want to come flying with me and I'll teach you how to fly it. And he went, nah, boring. I went, what? His mate came around the other day and I said to him, hey, Aaron, do you think Charlie should come fly model aeroplanes? He said, hell yeah. And I said, see? <laughs> I said, Aaron, do you want to come? So it, it's it's tough. and But I think that it's sometimes I think it's luck of the draw that um, Riley – was fascinated with it from the start and yeah and, absolutely and became passionate around it and because you were there as well it could drive that passion it helps if the kid just doesn't have that interest 
then yeah. it's just pushing uphill kind of thing. And, and there's only so far you can push it really before you go. He has always needed to be active and doing something. Ever since a young baby, he would never sit still. So it's the perfect hobby. Into the garage on the middle of the week, out to the field on the weekends, and then spend the next week repairing whatever we damaged on the weekend. So it's, it's, it's really good. Well, actually, you know what? I've always, like over the years, I've done a lot of thinking about the psyche of an aero modeler and, and there, we've all got these common traits. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think you just summed it up with Riley that you can't sit still and it has to be active. And I always say that aero modeling, you don't need to be actively flying to be an aero modeler. You can be thinking about it. Doing this podcast is aero modeling. You know, it's it's all encompassing. And but you have to have an active mind. You have yep, to percent like my mother in law says to me all the time, Do you ever sit still? I said, No, this is boring. Well, why do you want to sit still? There's so much to do. You know, yep. the sitting deal sometimes I you know, I was thinking to myself the other day. How often do I get home after work and just want to sit and watch a movie? And it's literally once since every six months that I want to wow. sit yep. down and just want to do nothing and watch a movie. It's either because I'm I'm dead tired, I've been crook yep. or something. But, Bad day. But and and I think that we aero modelers are we tinkerers. You know, we like cars and fishing and all these other activities and all that things that involve a bit of thought and a bit of skill you know learning and all that kind of stuff so so okay so you've had you you have got a lot of models uh a few like what do you estimate if, if we opened up your shed door would it be 30 plus models that are sitting there do you think yeah yeah do you ever sell them uh, or do you just keep on amassing them um uh, we came to a realization maybe about five years ago that we are wanting quality not quantity uh, so in the roof is uh, about four or five twins that haven't been built, uh, a couple of hundred cc spares just in case. Uh, we got into large scale racing, so they're up there as well. We've got a couple of scale models of Shepparton, you know, with the 80 inch stuff. Uh, so we'd average about probably 40 models between the garage. I've built a storage attic so we can get some out there out of the roof, uh, out of the way. Um, so yeah, 40 models in various states of, you know, new inboxes or, you know, the next one to be built. Okay. Question for you. Cause you said something that I like to hear. Um, mm -hmm. you said we only are into buying quality stuff now. Yep. Why? Um, it probably evolved when we started iMac, um, which was about 2017. Uh, and we were just of the theory that you put together a 100cc plane and you put together a motor in it and away you go. And at that stage, we never really realized the quality of the equipment results in the aircraft and how it flies. So um, Riley bought a, a, a calf with a Minotaur motor, bladed spark calf, and the wings tore off during a, just a basic aerobatic routine, nothing too sensitive. Uh, JR small kilo servos, uh, you get what you get. Um, we've now realized that with the, the Boomer RC stuff that's out there and DA and extreme flight and you know the models that are available and the motors that are available through DA or DLE or where you get them, you put them together right, they perform how they're designed to perform. So you're not going to the field and spending hours on something that lets you down or fails or you spend the next weekend repairing. Put it together once, put it together properly, put it in the trailer, take the trailer to the next flying event and they're there, they work. They just, they just work.
That is one of the best explanations that I've ever heard. Because I'm I'm like you. I made the decision yeah. many years ago that I was only it was literally I bought a forty eight inch extra extreme fly extra second hand yeah. for like two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. And I had some other sort of planes similar size. I flew that plane and went, This is just amazing. That's it. This is where I'm going. I'm only gonna buy the good stuff. Now there's a lot of people that I think there's always that's two schools of thought that, you know, Oh, they're all made in the same factory. They're all the same. Well, they're not because uh, we know that from experience. And sec- and 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 by the way, I know the owner of the Extreme Flight Factory in China. I've met him numerous times at dinner with him and all that kind of stuff. And I know that he's not making for multiple brands. I do know the brands he, he makes for, but there's only two. And I can tell you now the models. He's, he's a contract manufacturer. He works with two different yeah. brands, yeah. aerobatic planes, but they... They're totally different aircraft. There's nothing similar between any of them. 100%. Right? But, you know, even down to, like, Edo Seger used to always say this, and I've, I think I've mentioned it before, but he used to say, like, people skimp on servos. And he said, when you think about it, the only connection between your hand and the aeroplane are the servos. So if you get a really good plane to put really bad servos in that are slow and sloppy and all that, then that airframe is now no good. And I went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. A, I used to jump on second-hand servos and receivers out of RC Trader or whatever the case may be, and you think, I'm saving 30 bucks on the most important thing that's in this aircraft. Yeah. What is the point? Yeah. You know? And some people do sell genuinely good quality stuff, but mm. you know, I'm of the theory, buy it new, look after it, and it'll last you a long time. Well, I've got, like, I've got a lot of aerobatic planes, and, and especially thanks to COVID last year and lockdowns, that I, everything's <laughs> flyable, right? You know, I did some maintenance or whatever, so I'm pretty happy about that. I can go to any one of my models now and have 100% yep. confidence that when I pull it out, it's going to be fine. Yep. You know, and, I, yep. and I've said this multiple times as well. There's a lot of yep. things I keep on repeating, which is, isn't it funny how when we're at the flying field, we never see really good planes crashing. It's always the clunkers. Yep. Correct, 100%. We've got in the trailer now 200cc extreme flights, 260cc extreme flights and the turbine, and they are built properly, bulletproof, and they just don't fail. They don't fail. Yeah. So I bought a um, my, my Viperjet turbine secondhand. And yep. I always, like, when I got it, I went through the whole thing. I even ch- yep. I changed some of the servos because I just didn't know, I didn't know anything about the servos that were in Same. And yep. so I went and changed them. I bought new servos because I just wanted peace of mind that, you know, I just wanted confidence that I knew what this plane, yep. how it was going to perform yep. and how reliable. And even yep. to this day, because I didn't build that plane and I didn't buy all the components, I'm crossing my fingers that everything was done sort of right by the previous owner. So far, so good. I've got a a Falcon 120 with a King Tech 100 in it, and that was bought secondhand off a very, very good modeler. Um, And Riley still pulled it apart, went through it, did everything, like changed the batteries, changed some of the servo leads. Everyone has their own specific, unique little things they want to do. Um, and it's how you get to know the model. It's, you know, you, 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 you do your own little touches on it. Yeah. Now, from a scale perspective, what are some of the good scale models you've got at the moment? Uh, my favourite all-time model is the C130 Herc. So I've got a, an ASM with 440 strokes in it. Really? Um, uh, that's flown probably three times and then shelved because of, you know, the airborne routine and what's come through. Uh, the SC5 is probably still my favourite. That's the first sort of build I did, and that's covered in the the green fabric covering and got the decals made by a mate of mine. 
uh, bought the motor off of Adrian Laurie over at uh, Orchard Hobbies. Um, and probably the last thing I've just bought, which I was lucky enough to uh, have a wife that uh, gave me some money out of my redundancy package, is <laughs> I bought myself a, a second-hand Hangar 900cc Beast. So oh, I've got you? that sitting up in, yeah, I've always loved that aircraft. So that's sitting there. Is it in a, is it built or is it? Um, no, okay. built, 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 built. So it was a second hand. Mm. Um, uh, always loved it from the moment it came out. Um, had a 100cc laying around. So it's in there. Um, fully decked out with sort of boomer equipment, batteries and smooth flight, etc. And, and love it. Like it's just one of the aircraft that I've always wanted to do since I saw it, I think it's probably about four years old if you were to go back on when it was released. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that. that's that's probably one of the nice ones in the hangar. That, um, that uh, a friend of mine, Paul, had uh, had the Beast and um, it was the first time I saw it and that would have been 2013, maybe? Oh, there you go. So it, yep. it, and Because it was Kike Somerzin designed it. And yes, yeah. Kike. And yep. that model, it, a lot of people love that model and put that on a pedestal, that plane. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting this biplane thing that uh, my friend Dominic he just he's in a biplane frenzy at the moment with you know a pits and he's just bought a Waco Waco and he's and he just he loves the biplane thing but I've never really personally got into biplanes I'm having enough trouble with one set of wings let alone two. <laughs> but, Different flying, but yeah, I I just love the footprint that this thing has in the air. It's great. I've got some really good photos of a tiger moth that um, you guys have got in your hangar and Riley was flying. Ah, uh, yeah. And, um, and Riley, of course, he was flying it beautifully and, and uh, we, you did have a mishap, I think, with one of the wheels flopping off. Yeah, um, one of the wheels. Uh, we, we ended up picking that up secondhand. Uh, a gentleman rocked up to the club and said, oh, I've got some models in the car. Is anyone interested? And, you know, when you sort of think to yourself, oh, yeah, okay, I'll come and have a look at it for you, mate. And I've looked and I've seen this tiger moth and I just said, look, I'm actually interested in buying that myself. What do you want? And it, it was very, very cheap to the point where he invited me around to his house where he had a, a DC-3 that's in various condition that needs to be finished and a few other things. And, you know, uh, he basically didn't want anything for them. So I, I gave him what I thought was a fair price for the Tiger Moth. And Riley loves it. It, it turns up the Shepparton and it's just bizarre to see him one minute throwing around 100cc in 3D and then next thing going up in the Tiger Moth fighting around the sky. That's right. But that... that... I do love a tiger moth though, and, and oh, one, they're beautiful. And that motor too, it's got that blonk 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 kind of motor sound, which I yep. which which I love as well. That makes a lot of sense in a tiger moth. But um, now you mentioned um, Shepparton, and I, I mean I see you at Shepparton, whatever. You know, what are some of the events that you love visiting? Shepparton's probably right up there on the top. Um, through Daryl Gunston and Northern Flying Group, we used to go up there from the very, very beginning of Shepparton and run the admin tent and, you know, do all the pilots and do all the, the signing in and the logging in until the, you know, the Shep guys got motivated. And it was always a dream to fly at Shepparton, you know, a, a Byron Mustang or something of that sort of nature up there at Shepparton. Um, so probably about, you know, eight to ten years of helping out on the admin side of things and then evolving into to flying in it. So um, I love the fact that you can rock up and there's 100 people with 150 different models. The weekend always seems to be one out of the box and, like, it was just the place to be as far as large scale. And it was on the transition where stuff started getting larger, you know, 100cc started turning up and three or four metre ARS started turning up and it was it was just a great place to see what's out there and, and meet the guys that you, you see once a year. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this year's event. Hopefully, it all goes ahead okay. But the, don't talk to me about this year's uh, event. Yeah, 
Well, it, we've got a, a, a clash of dates, oh, unfortunately, that's right. for this. I is am IMAC, shattered. Is it the IMAC Nationals are on at the same yeah, time? Well, one. Yeah. Oh, you're going to have to go to IMAC because Riley's doing good things in the IMAC. Summer. Well, and to be honest with you, we're still torn. Like, even now, we just, we don't know. Tell him to, um, he can go to the IMAC. And yeah. come to Shepparton. He's a grown-up boy now. He has, <laughs> yeah. he has to do his own thing. He can drive. Unfortunately, we both need the trailer, so you know we're sort of screwed. Oh, look, you look, well, that's his problem. It's your truck. Yeah, yeah, true, 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 true. I was talking to somebody the other day about the Shepparton event and saying, you know, he said, "Oh, I don't know whether I'm going to go." And I said, "You know what? He has beautiful scale airplanes." I said, "The Shepparton event is not necessarily about going to fly because." When you go oh, there, no. you're going to be up in the air with four or five other planes. You're going to be flying circuits, and if you're into flying circuits, knock yourself out. If you're going to take an aerobatic plane there, thinking you do a routine, you're dreaming, all right? So you've got to take something there. If, you, if you're thinking about flying, fly something you can just fly circuits around. But I said it's not a, just about that. It's about bringing out your really nice plane and letting other people enjoy it. It's not showing off. It's we go there to see really nice models even just, even just sitting there in the pit area walking through the pit area and having a look and going that is just a beautiful plane talking to the owner and that kind of stuff is part of that shepherd experience that you, you see a lot of the planes that never ever hit the air because yep. they're there just as a showpiece which is fine i don't have an issue at all with that and but if you want to see good planes, the Shepherd and Mammoth scale event is probably the best one to go to. They go to hundred percent. There's a lot of people that I, you know, I meet people around, you know, through work or whatever, and they find out I fly model airplanes or I do have a turbine jet sitting in my back room in my office. But um, so we might say I fly model airplanes, and they say, "Oh, my son's really into it. Tell me when you're going out, because you know he'd love to come and have a look." And I always say, "Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying, go and have a day out, because the best of the best are going to be there." And they're just going to love it. They're just going to think it's the best place to be. Just, the club is just a brilliant group of people. The facilities are there are fantastic. It's the weekend away. Um, you know, we, we would leave Shepparton on one year and book the accommodation for the next year exactly the same weekend because it, it never changed there for, well, it changed there once or twice. But, you know, it was just the go-to place. Absolutely go-to. I'm going, I want to fly it this year. Actually, Literally, this um, about half an hour ago, I was talking to a friend about it, and we we're talking about I've got a paramotor, a radio-controlled paramotor, and I said to him, I want to fly it at Shepparton because it's scale and it meets the criteria. Okay. Span-wise, and it looks awesome. It's It looks real. Um, so I said, imagine that. I'll be the only odd one out flying a paramotor around. It'd be awesome. I don't think the plane's going to make you odd. I think you've got that nailed. Uncle. The paramotor I'm, is the best. You want one after you see it fly. Oh, yeah. I could just imagine me going to buy one. No problems. It's not cheap. I'll tell you what, I paid a pretty penny for it. And it's mm, that's the look it up. You, uh, Opal Paramodels. O-P-A-L-E. Go and have a look and you tell me whether you think it's dud or, or not. It's not like this Hobby King rubbish kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Proper, proper stuff. Anyway, you wait. You'll see it shepherding with a paramotor and you'll be impressed. I can tell you now. I'll have to look for the photos. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there'll be plenty. Um, now, let's just talk a bit about the admin side of things because you've, you've been involved. Like I've seen you at VMAA meetings because because you're a state field, the VMAA pretty much own the place, so you have to report back to them. And um, like... What got you into into that sort of the admin side of the hobby? Why why did you do it? 
Um, I suppose when you rock up to a club, you know no one, you are feeling very insecure about what you're doing, someone takes you under the wing, they teach you to fly, and you just want to give that back in some way, shape or form. So for me, there was an opening on the committee as an ordinary member, and it gave me a chance to see how clubs were run and how that organisation was run. It was good because it was on the forefront of the state field, so I was involved in the you know driving around looking at blocks of land and seeing what we can do and being involved in the proposals to the VMAA and AAA. So it, it was a, a just another rewarding aspect of the hobby. You knew you were cementing a future for aero modelling. Uh, you had a purpose and you weren't just rocking up on a set day and taking things from the club. And I don't mean that nastily. I mean, everyone has their own idea of what they want to do. But Riley and I have probably decided now that um, aero modelling gives you back what you put into it. Um, and, you know, he's very keen to start member drives and, you know, go down that path. I'm still keen to be part of the, the president of the Northern Flying Group as long as they'll have me and then until someone else steps up and wants the role. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing it because I am a control freak. I'm doing it because I enjoy what I do. I think the committee and the club works well. And what we've achieved out there, we're taking uh, you know, a block of land that had a, a toilet block and a road in it is basically how we started. And you turned it into the club room and the, the runway and the facilities. So you're part of that nurturing from a greenfield site to something that is now you know, pretty good as far as we're concerned. Um, on the VMAA, you're correct, I, I have to go there and put in reports on you know, where we're at and what the club's at and what the membership's at. Uh, there's a position there for a committee member, so I thought, well, I'm here anyway, and you know, if they want to have me, they'll have me. And it's good just to see the broader picture, like rather than just 50, 60, 70 guys out at Northern, we're talking 2,500 Victorians, you see the clubs, you hear of all the great things happening in the VMAA, you hear of the MAAA and how they're working with CASA to cement our relationships and you know preserve our own modelling long term and it's really good to be part of that in a, in, a, in a bigger picture rather than just you rocking up to a club, saying hello to a few friends and then going home and, and switching off if that makes sense. Yeah, well, again, I, I must talk a lot because I had another chat to the same person I spoke about the Shepherd in a bit about yep. this idea that um, at every flying club, everyone has this idea that oh look, you know, we just come here to go fly. And I said to him, it's a great idea that we just come and go and fly, but the ability to go and fly is given to you through other people making an effort. Fantastic. Um, yeah. That you know, somebody had to maintain cut the run the runway. Someone had to you know, build the clubhouse. Someone had to wire up the PowerPoint so we could charge our batteries. Someone had to work out where we're going to park our cars. Someone had to work out safety barriers and all that kind of stuff. That your local club should never be seen as just the place where I go and fly. And and the other aspect is, as we all know, is we spend a little bit of time flying and we spend a lot of time socialising. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, no doubt uh, that you have experienced lots of different club members and ha have had situations where, you know, you had to manage people because they may be doing the wrong thing or ruffling feathers, uh, you know, when it's not needed. What do you think has been the hardest part of, of, of running a club? Not getting involved in the politics. Um, you will always get personalities, some very strong, some very silly, 
people always try and push the envelope of what they can or can't do. Um, I've always looked at it from the point of view that we represent the state field and if that doesn't exist because someone does something silly and we lose that permit to fly and then we're down with the Macedon Rangers explaining why something went wrong, then that's the worst case scenario for me. And if I come up to you and say, Andrew, what you did was wrong, just this is how we do it here, you can either pack up and put your plane in the car or you can sit down and go, yep, done the wrong thing, sorry, no problems there whatsoever. And that's the worst that I've ever probably had to deal with. Um, you get a lot of people to come up to you with, do you think you should be doing that? What's going on here? Take it on board, wait for the right moment, go and have a quiet talk in the car park and the problem's resolved. It's, it's, it's not hard to manage a club and people because we're all there enjoying the same thing. And if someone's doing the wrong thing, it's because they were not taught or shown how the system works or what the system is there for to preserve the club. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. I'm, I, I enjoy, you rock in through the gate and I have every intention of getting the plane out and doing the flying. One thing will lead to another and I might not even get the plane out of the car. I always have 20, 30 flights for the day and I've sat there and chatted, cleaned up the kitchen, worked out the problems of the, the, you know, the wars that are going on in the club. It's easy. It's just, it's part of being um, the peacekeeper, the guy in charge. And uh, I respect the members and their opinions and hopefully they respect where the club's heading. I've got a brilliant comedian behind me. I've always had. Uh, the committee's changed uh, probably about the last five to ten years. Um, and we're just like-minded, you know. It's all about moving forward. How can we better the club? And, you know, let's keep the membership as where we can. Let's keep some money in the bank just in case. And let's keep the facilities as clean as we can. At my local club, and I won't mention the name of it, there's a little bit of a faction going on that a group of people are trying to complain about everything. And I think that having good leadership is critical in those kind of circumstances to nip things in the bud before it goes too far. The MAAA recently put out their latest newsletter and they referred to that. Um, Neil Tank, the, the outgoing president, referred to that, that you know it's a major issue that can break clubs up. But I think, yeah, you've got to show some leadership but, and it's just taking someone aside saying, okay, what are your problems? Let's discuss them now. And we're also blessed with having you know an open visitor policy. So we can have anyone from any club rock up at any time. If they've got a plane in the car, sign in the book so I know they were there, hit the QV code so we can cover it off from a COVID perspective, and there's just a basic, this is what we do, this is the circuits, this is what it is, and away we go from there. That club where he's come from may not have any of those rules in place. So, you know, everyone's doing left-hand circuits, down the runway, turn, 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 and back down the runway again, and he's just flying up and down the runway. Just rock up and we're going, you're doing well. I can see you've got control of the aircraft. We fly circuits here. That's just the way we prove it. Oh, that's a good idea. That way we wouldn't hit each other. And you just go, okay, then. Um, have lots of crashes where you can't drop. Can you clarify something for me? Yeah. Like I, somebody else mentioned this in, a, in another podcast, but when I asked them, but because you're a state field and I'm a VMAA member, can I come more than four times to the field without being a member? I'm entitled to go whenever I like to the field without joining. I know, so, I know morally what I should do, but is there a limit? So the answer to the question is we, we got asked to put a visitor's policy to get together years. So the theory is anyone can come and fly at the state field. But if you decide that you're going to do it regularly and you're a member of another club, no issues there whatsoever. We would ask that you join our club as an associate. So the four is the official rule. Um, at the end of the day, 
the club is putting together the maintenance, the regime, paying the rates, paying the insurances, paying for all the fuel, the running costs, the electricity, that all comes out of the club funds. So there's no handout from anyone as far as that's concerned. We are blessed to be able to have an avenue through the BMAA for a grant if they deem it to be a, a warrantable thing or a broken thing that's beyond the club's repair, whatever the case may be. So for you to rock up religiously weekend after weekend after weekend, the club would encourage you to try and join to help in the running of the facilities. Um, so that's probably the only place that I would suggest that, yeah, four is is not a problem. Uh, once we start heading down the fifth or sixth, we would you know encourage. When you become a member of the club, that gives you a key to the field. So you don't have to coordinate with, hi, Mark, I want to go and test fly my XYZ tomorrow. Is someone going to be there? No, sorry, today's a you know pancake-making day, so we're not actually doing anything in the field. So... By being a member of the club, you get a key, key to the facilities, you are in control of when you can get there, when you can get there midweek, whatever the case may be, and it works in good for you as well. Um, that's probably the only thing that I would suggest, that all visitors are welcome. Around the fourth or fifth visit, it would be convenient, obviously, if they join the club for their own peace of mind, and it also gives the club the ability to uh, get that membership to keep going with the ongoing running of the field. Well, I think, you know... As I said, there's, I think there's a moral obligation that if you're going to turn up more than four times or you're going to be there regularly, you should just become a member of the club, like you said, because and yeah. realistically, the membership of our clubs is not that much. I actually think they're pretty cheap in the whole scheme of things because if you're going there, like you're, you can go to a flying club whenever you want if you really want to. If you're not working or don't have other commitments and you can go flying all the time. And if you amortise it out, you're paying hardly anything to be there and whilst you're there, the grass is still growing, and they still have to put have a mower, and the mowers always break down. Like it's a number. Like I think right on mower in another language just me maintenance or something because they're always breaking down. They need fuel, and we also like to see improvement in our facilities with clubhouses and pit areas and car parks and and all that kind of stuff. And and you know we're seeing like some of the newer clubs now, and we look at say the the club out at Mount Wallace and. They started with just a strip. They might put a container down there to store their machinery, and they're slowly, slowly. But it could be five, ten years away before they get it closer to where they think, because it's like the club at Echuca. Echuca had to, you know, slowly, slowly they start putting a like a covered pit area, and every year they might extend it a bit further. You know, when they get the money to do so, and so it's sort of a work in progress. Bensdale's done an excellent job. A beautiful club down there, some really good facilities, um, but it just takes time. And with time also comes the money because they're not getting concrete for free. Uh, well, and that's the other thing. You know, the members turned around and said, you know, when do we stop and enjoy and keep flying? So we got into a situation where we would do a Bunnings barbecue, go to a fundraiser, go and do that, have five grand in the bank. What else can we spend money on to make the field look better? And then you realise that you're chasing your tail of, we don't actually fly anymore. We just build something. We put something new in. We we go and build, buy a new sea container. We go and buy a new mower. We go and buy another tractor. Um, when do we just sit back and you know let, let the money in the bank sit there for a little while and just enjoy the hobby? So that's where the club's at now. So we are in the position of buying a brand new ride on mower. So you know that's what we need to do because if you can't mow it, you can't fly off it, and you know you just got to pad it if you can't do that. Um, and the next thing we want to do down there is shade. So you know that's probably the last thing missing as far as the the, the facilities that we want to try and provide for modelers. I, I didn't realise you'd been involved in the admin side for so long. And how long have you been president mm. president now of the Northern Flying Group? Oh, 
10 years, if not more. Uh, another gentleman, Robert McDonald, we sort of tag teamed in for a while and he'd swap the vice and I'd go up from vice to president. Uh, Robert's enjoying some quality time with his family at the moment. So I've just been sitting in the chair, beats my vice at the moment. He's another committed worker, uh, just absolutely brilliant, just part of the group. That's just makes my life very much easier to have the right people behind me. Yeah, so when it comes to you know, committee members, what would your advice be to anybody that's looking at you know joining their, their club committee? Don't be afraid. Put your hand up. Come in. Sit down and listen for a first couple of months and then, and then get involved. Um, there's never a wrong suggestion. Uh, you've probably got to get the lay of the land first. It's not all about, you know, I'm joining the committee and I'm going to get shade sales put on in the next two months. Well, there's reasons we don't have shade sales for, for now, you know. So um, don't be afraid to put back into the club. Don't be afraid to, to have a voice and maybe test the waters with, you know, someone that you trust in the club on the committee and say, look, this is what I want to do. What's the views? The committees are always looking for new ideas and, and fresh people to come in and help. And, um, you know, from, from a northern perspective, I'd, I'd welcome that. No problems there whatsoever. Um, yeah, it, it's don't be afraid. That's all I can suggest. Yeah, some good points there. Now, you mentioned something to me prior to the podcast, and I, I said, don't tell me the details until uh -oh. we get on air. But um, how did you burn your trailer down? Ah, that is the mystery. Um, so Riley and I started IMAC. So 2017 was probably we started flying IMAC. Uh, Riley again with just a, a Compaf 100cc and me with a little 30cc sort of thing. Uh, we drive from Melbourne to a place called Burrum Buttock, uh, rock up there at about 12 o'clock at night, set up camp, set up everything we need to do, start flying the next morning. I've decided to put my plane on charge because obviously, you know, basic wasn't up first. And uh, next thing you know, I turn around and someone's yelling out fire and you look down the line of all the trailers and there's my one fully ablaze. So uh, doors open, everything piled in the trailer like a bucket of shit like you normally would. Uh, three or four planes in there full of petrol and four or five gliders and a couple of little races and uh, next thing you know it's uh, fully ablaze so uh, I ended up trying to separate the car from the trailer which unfortunately I had padlocked the tow ball on dropped the glasses on the run to it so I ended up with uh, a bit of radiant heat burn in the middle of my back spent six to eight weeks in the uh, Alfred hospital in the burns unit um, yeah, a, a horrific little part of modelling and, you know, my welcome to iMac is the, the dickhead that ruined the competition for the weekend for people mm -hmm. and uh, spent the uh, Grand Prix of 2017 in the Alfred Hospital watching the, the helicopter come in and uh, the, hearing the cars on the track. The, but do you think it was a lipo fire, like the lipo went up on charge? I I think I made the wrong mistake on charging a battery on a multi-channel charger. I think I, while I was trying to charge a 12-volt gel, uh, I think by default I probably uh, selected the wrong channel. Uh, back then we were very, very um, blasé with uh, what we do. Now it's totally different. There's smoke detectors in the trailer and everything's on a pull-out arm and you know nothing gets charged without me standing next to it with a fire extinguisher in the hand kind of thing. Um, one of those things where 
I thought I did everything right, something went wrong, and in hindsight, the only thing I can think of is I, I've charged a lipo with a gel by accident um, and paid the price. You know, uh, I think we lost about 12, 13 models in there, the trailer, um, uh, and in another roundabout kind of way, it really showed me the iMac community and, and how brilliant they are. One of the guys there uh, was a boiler maker, trailer maker. He manufactured me another trailer at a, a very good price. Uh, he said, as long as you're not in a rush. Uh, Norm Thompson, who's a, another gentleman I know very well, loaned me a trailer while the new one was being built. Uh, and we, uh, it's just aero modeling. It's a community of people that are there for you when you need them. Um, my brand new trailer rocked up. Uh, we ended up with uh, a couple of people sent me some, you know, planes uh, as a, you know, get me back online kind of stuff. Um, lucky for us, we never lost the transmitters or anything. But um, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's really heartwarming to know that the community's out there for you. And, you know, I really do know, you know, uh, Dave Robbins, who's one of the guys that uh, looked after me while I was burned, um, he pretty much saved my life on the day. Uh, unbeknownst at the time, and again, David, I apologize for the swearing I gave you if you do listen to this podcast. Um, he was a, a fiery, trained paramedic. He was pouring water down me. He's keeping me conscious while I'm going into shock. Uh, at the time, he was just an annoying old man that I wanted to tell to go away, and I think I did a few times. Um, in hindsight, you know, the guy probably saved my life. Um, it's it's really, really, really heartwhelming to know that these people are out there for you, and they just do it instinctively. Um, you hear about people with water bucket runs that are going from the clubhouse to where my trailer was, which is 100 metres, to throw a bucket of water over the back of me until the, the ambulance arrived, which took like 45 minutes, and uh, flown off to, you know, driven off to Albury Hospital, flown into Melbourne, Melbourne, Essendon to Alfred, and yeah, a little sort of one of those parts of life that you hope you never experience, but it happened, unfortunately. No, I didn't realise it was that bad. I didn't realise you had yeah. in the hospital like that, but... Um... Mm. Gee, did, you didn't have any insurance or anything? No, well, you know, the, the modelling aspect side of stuff is uh, bad luck. I mean, there was uh, thoughts of maybe going through, you know, because the car I was driving was a company car, uh, that didn't cover anything as far as the trailer's concerned. Uh, I don't think still to this date you can probably insure your trailer and your models. I know some people have found a way to do it in with their house and contents insurance. Yeah, I've, um, I've got well, I've got trailer insurance. Um, yep, so I've got but, trailer insurance here. Yep, yeah, yep. but I've got um, insurance. Well, actually, the wife was talking to the insurance company about um, insuring some bikes, you know, because some of the bikes now, like mountain bikes and things like that, are quite expensive, and she's got this e-bike that costs a pretty penny. And she said, maybe we should get them insured. And I said, well, ring up RACV Insurance and see what they say. And then I said, I'll ask them about model aeroplanes. I said, I don't, want to, I don't want to insure every single model aeroplane. And you can't get them insured whilst you're flying. But say if it's sitting in the trailer and it gets damaged on the way to an event or someone steals it or something like that. So any, any activity where it's not actually in the air flying. And they actually knew all about it. They actually said, oh, yeah, no, we can cover model aeroplanes. We're not when oh, you're wow. flying. And I, so I ended up getting four of my aeroplanes, the, the 200cc is the jet and um, oh, well done. And one other, I can't remember, I think it was four planes or three or four planes that I got covered under the insurance policy, which is part of your home and contents, basically. 200cc extreme flights fully decked out with DAs, you, you're sitting at you know, six grand worth of replacement if you have to. So that's worth it. 
a friend of mine bought a, a, a hundred cc, and he actually got it up to eight grand. If you put canisters on it, DA, the really good servos, a power box, or something like that, and I went because I went nah, you know. But then when he started adding it up and going, gee, you're right, you're almost at eight grand nowadays, and that's different. Like when I was bringing in model airplanes and three D hobby shop planes, it was when the US dollar to the Australian dollar was really good. It was at parity, and so yeah. um, that was so much cheaper. And since then. The exchange rates flopped and everything is at least 30% more expensive. So we're paying on average $500 more for a 100cc a kit. And the same with motors. I think you can throw freight into that as well. That's just a license to print money, that thing. Freight, freight to get, like, from, to get stuff from Queensland to Victoria, big bottles. Um, what is it, 400 bucks or something like that? Or 200 I have I haven't had to do freight. We've uh, always had pickup or model runs that go up and down the coast. So, you know, yeah, it's scary and understandably too, I suppose. But you know, it just adds another dynamic to the cost of the model. Yeah, no, definitely. It's um, it's just crazy, really. I miss the days of the freebies when I had the magazine. Get the oh, I do. I do enjoy the phone call from Mister Rogers telling me there was something to pick up. They were they were the good days. Yeah, I know, but. Sometimes there were hassles, like something had to be built and you had to buy. So, like people, there's no such thing as a free lunch. No. And, and it was never something you loved and it was never something that you would ever sell. Uh, but, yeah, that got back to uh, culling the models down from a quality, a quantity back to a quality perspective. Yeah, That's where we were. Yeah. I've got a lot of phonies and stuff like that that I was given for review. And, and I'll, I'll, I keep them at my holiday house because, you know, it's a great place to fly phonies when you don't have a proper strip. Um, and so that's where that's a bit of my dumping ground, but um, no, nah, I'm just not, I'm just not in the mood for purchasing anything in the hobby because I've got enough. You know, you're one of those persons that can say enough is enough, or you're always on the market for something that might catch your eye. Uh, always on the market for something. Um, you know, the, the as I say, when I lost my job, I got access to my long service leave. Uh, the darling wife gave me a certain amount of money to go out and buy my new stuff. So a uh, quick phone call to uh, to Mark and Ian up at DA to you know see what I can get organised. And next thing you know, I've, I've bought that. And you just think, should have bought that as well. Should have bought this as well. So, you know, I don't think you could ever have enough. That's what you think. I think I've got enough. Well, nah, look, to say, <laughs> saying that, like, we're a modelers and there's always something that we'd be keen on. Um, I'm just not inclined to go and spend the money at this point in time because I just keep on saying to myself, look, I, I love the flying. And, you know, Riley and I, your son, have been on the sim playing around with free cell aerobatics and stuff like that, which um, Riley is going to come on the show because um, I want to have a chat with him about what he's doing in uh, his aerobatics and stuff like that. But um, I'm really into the flying. I really just want to go to the field. Like someone said to me, oh, what are you going to fly next? And I said, look, once we can get back to flying after this little lockdown that we hopefully by the time this airs, which we should, we'll be back flying. But my 30cc extra. And the guy said to me, what about your 100ccs? I said, yeah, I know. But I do also really like flying that 30cc extra that I haven't flown for a while. And I really am looking forward to getting that up in the air because it just flies so well and I love flying it. So I said, that's what I I used to just love loading up the car, not having to worry about the trailer. But unfortunately, now with the you know the four planes in the car in the trailer, the two hundreds down the bottom, the two sixties up the top, we always take the trailer because it's the only thing that Riley flies now. Uh, gone are the days of the small little forty sixty size. Uh, we've got a couple of races that we need to get ready for a race event that's coming up in Cootamundra in June. So, 
you know, there's a, a few things that will transition out of the trailer and, you know, change the hobbies for large-scale racing or a bit of scale ready for Shep or a bit of iMac ready for the, the iMac stuff. But that's about the three facets where we hovered at the moment. Yeah. Now, since we're talking about models, there's, there's a signature move that I have every episode and it's that final question that I ask everybody, which is what has been your fo- favourite all-time model? Oh, I've got to say the Extreme Flight Extra. I just, oh, and that's purely because I'm probably flying, you know, iMac at the moment. Uh, I say flying, I participate in basic. I don't really challenge myself. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, the newer stuff. And I think it gets down to what we said before, set up properly, set up with reliable equipment and no hassles at the field. So torn between the, the Hangar 9 Beast from a, it's always been my favourite, and the iMac from a reliability perspective. Yeah. What, is that the 104 Extra? Uh, yeah. What's the colour scheme on that one? Uh, I've, I actually, it's the it's the 91-inch V2 Extra, and it's the blue and white one, the latest one that's just come out. Uh, Riley's got the 104. He's got the, the red and black one. That's his 3D. Uh, and then he's just bought the laser... Uh, and he's got an NG in the roof as a spare. Oh, gee, he's got plenty of oh, crocky. But you know what's interesting? Like that laser, the Extreme Flight laser, I talk about it all the time. It's been a great, it's a great model. But um, I'm surprised how many people are using them for iMac. When I, I, I see them as a freestyle plane, they really sell on the freestyle thing. And extra might be better for iMac. But um, you know, there's a big run on those those lasers at the moment. You, you, good luck trying to get one. They sell out very, very quickly. There's a, there's a joke in the iMac of, uh, would you buy a laser, a red one? Everyone's got one. <laughs> and they do fly really well. They fly brilliantly. Well, um, in a previous podcast, um, by the time this one is, you'll hear um, Sasha Ciccone, uh talking about the laser and our experience of him flying a laser when we were in China together. And he, um, when he got back to Italy, he got sent an extreme flight laser and a, a DLE 130. And he said, "Look, I wouldn't. I'd never use it for competition because he thinks that his his big krills present better in the air and are better for for competition. But he said it's such. He said it's so good the plane. He says so it's potentially not as precise as say the krill, but he said it's just it just does everything so well and it's so easy to fly that it's almost like cheating. And so he says that's his fun go to plane if he wants to put on a show for people. He'll pull the laser out, the hundred cc laser, the DLE one thirty, which gives it extra grunt." And, a little bit more power, yep. Well, Mark Sills, Uncle Sills, I would, Uncle Mark, sorry, um, I would like to thank you for joining me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. It's been a good chat. Really enjoyed it. You know, I use these podcasts as an excuse to get to know people that I know even better. I didn't good know, idea. I didn't know your backstory. Now everybody knows it. So big thank you. And uh, we will see you at a flying event probably, hopefully in the near future. Great job. Look forward to catching up again. Thanks, Andrew. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode done and dusted of the Flat Out RC podcast. Big thank you once again to Mark Sills for joining me. Really enjoyed my chat with Mark. Always good to, to catch up with him. Great guy. And if you ever see him at the flying field, say good day and tell him you listen to him on the Flat Out RC podcast. Uh, now, what I'm going to need to remind you about 
subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe and review of the podcast. If you don't like it, tell people you don't like it. If you like it, tell them that you like it. Tell your mates. Spread the word about Flat Out RC if you enjoy it. Uh, and also, whilst you're in the mood for subscribing, Flat Out RC YouTube channel, as I said, uh, new video that's up there. Uh, hoping to get more. We're coming into winter here in Melbourne, and that means uh, getting to the flying field is few and far between. Uh, but there is a little video that I want to do um, that I've got in my mind. So that stay tuned. Uh, there will be something happening in the next month or so. Uh, so don't forget to subscribe to the Instagram page, Flat Out RC, and the Facebook page as well. Get on the Flat Out RC train, as they say. And I'll be back next Wednesday. Probably, if all things turn out, with another homegrown, uh, everyday modeler that has been in the hobby for a long time and does has done a lot of things. So, uh, you know, we mix up some of the big names like the Peter Goldsmiths of the world and then just come down to the average aero modeler, which I am happy to talk to any day of the week. So, thank you for joining me once again. Enjoy your week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flat Out RC Podcast. Hey.